Mark chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him, one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank all of it. And he said to them, This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. But we're going to be unpacking uh, the Last Supper. The Last Supper. There's that, that, that famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, and then Michelangelo kind of riffed off of it, you know. But, but basically, uh, the, I mean, the Last Supper is this, is this meal that Jesus had that is, that is famous, that is, is well-known. We can all picture it. But I, want, I want you to think right now about the last meal that you really enjoyed. I want you to think of the last meal that you just truly enjoyed. Think about it. What was it that you ate? Who was it that you were with? What is it about that that picture, that scene, that meal that you're thinking about that you loved so much? You see, typically... Typically, our most cherished meals are not just about what we are enjoying. They're also about who we're enjoying it with. Like statistically speaking, they say that people are, are, are the happiest, the most joyful when they're sitting around a common table with food and family and friends. And this, this deep human instinct that we have is sort of like hardwired into us by the God who made us. That, and that's why we mark significant moments in our lives with, with significant meals. Like what do we do when we want to connect with, with someone new, like going on a first date or, or getting to know someone, someone better, like an old friend or family member? We, we share a meal. What do we do when we want to celebrate a special occasion, like a birthday or a holiday? We share a meal. We we, we pull out the grill. We share a meal. Or how about an event that like honors somebody else, like a, like a, like a wedding or an anniversary or, or even a funeral? They're typically attached to meals. 
You see, a meal is more than just fuel that feeds our bodies. Meals are more than just mere biology and chemistry. Meals are, 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 are sort of this hardwired desire for us to share in what the New Testament calls communion. The great biblical festivals and feasts, like all throughout the Bible, they all function this way. Like even when you think about the original temptation that gave rise to the fallen, broken condition of our world, what was it? Eating from the wrong tree. Jesus' first miracle was a wedding feast. A feast at this huge party, this wedding party, where he took jugs of water and he turned them into the best wine for the sake of everyone's gladness. And we're told that at the end of all time, when Jesus returns, that the, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be, uh, it'll be sort of like this massive, beautiful, another wedding feast. With Jesus at the head of the table and the entire family of God all throughout history will enjoy the best food and the best wine at his table and it will be the party to end all parties. The feast that sets the high bar for all other feasts. You see, meals play a special role in the story of God and his people all throughout the scriptures. And in our text this morning, we're going to see a very special meal. A very momentous meal in the life of Jesus. It was his final meal, the Last Supper. The Last Supper takes place on Thursday, the Thursday right before Good Friday when Jesus uh, will go to the cross. And so this is his, his, Jesus is sitting down with his disciples. He's sitting down to share his last meal, his last, uh, his last time, intimate time with them. And what Jesus revealed about himself at this meal has a lasting significance for not only how we understand his life and ministry, but also has lasting significance for just what it means to be part of the family of Jesus throughout the ages. And it informs the way that we take the Lord's Supper or communion today. It's so sacred. It's so sacred, this meal and and. And we often, we often miss that, right? Like when we, we, we take communion here every week at King's Cross, and sometimes we always teach it as like the, the thing that we tack on to, to the end of the service, almost like it's a religious exercise, right? But what I want us to, to see and sort of wrestle with and dig into in the text is to see how truly sacred and special this meal is. And so we're going to look at three things. First, I want us to discuss the reason for the Passover feast, which Jesus is, is having with his disciples. Secondly, we're going to look at the revelation of Jesus as the Passover lamb. And lastly, we're going to consider our weekly rhythm of the Lord's Supper that we do today. And so first, the reason for the Passover feast. The reason for the Passover feast, start reading with me in verse 12 of Mark chapter 14, which says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, and they, is speaking about the, the Jews throughout history, so this is a, a religious uh, 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 sort of memorial day. On the first day of unleavened bread, when they, all the Jews, sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples, Jesus' disciples, they said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? You see, they're there at the week. It's, it's, it's the, the week of the Passover feast. They're in Jerusalem. And so the disciples are like, we're going to have this Passover feast. It's just this working assumption that they have, right? 
they're going to have this Passover feast. And so the disciples, they want to prepare the meal for the feast to celebrate with Jesus. So that begs the question for us, what's the deal with the Passover, right? What is this Passover that they're celebrating? Passover is an annual feast that Jews celebrated year after year to commemorate a defining moment in their life and history. It's a time that they commemorated the time when when God delivered them out of slavery at the hands of the Egyptians, right? Here's the backstory. How many of you guys are familiar with the backstory of this in the the book of Exodus? The story of Moses and leading God's people out of, uh, you know, Egyptian slavery. You see, what happened... What happened is centuries, uh, centuries earlier, before uh, Mark 14, God's people, they were enslaved under the rule of a, of a cruel and bigoted and abusive dictator named Pharaoh. And God raised up a leader among his people, the Israelites, a leader named Moses that would come up to, to Pharaoh and, and sort of flex and challenge him, right? He would challenge Pharaoh and say, hey, you know, God... God loves his people. He loves his people, and you're abusing them, and so let his people go. Let God's people go. God loves them, and you're abusing them. Let them go. And Pharaoh would respond and say, no, I'm not going to let God's people go. They're not his. They're mine. Few million Jews at this time. So they were, a, as slaves, they were a significant part of his workforce. And he's like, I'm not going to let these people go. They don't belong to your God. They belong to me. And they went back and forth several times. And, and God kept giving Pharaoh these chances again and again to knock it off and to finally repent. And when he didn't, God would send a plague as, as punishment. If you remember the story on the, on the tenth and final plague, what happened is, is God Almighty sent his justice down. The sword of divine justice came down on Egypt, and death visits every household in Egypt, including Pharaoh's. And it's a dark day. It's a grim day. We hear recordings about, it, not just in the Bible, but in even extra biblical, biblical texts, we, we hear stories about just how that was just a day of weeping and, and warming and screaming out. Women would be screaming out as, 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 as death visited each door in the land. But the angel of death spares or passes over every Jewish household. Not because the Jews were awesome, faithful people, because they weren't. Right? God didn't spare them because they were great. They spared them because of his grace. The angel of death spared and passed over every Jewish household that had the, the, the blood of, a, of an innocent lamb uh, over the doorpost. So I want you to imagine just the intensity of that scene back in the Exodus. The chaos of that day, the heartache of that day, the screams of that day. Pharaoh finally said, enough is enough. Take your people, get out of here. Obviously, God is with you. I want nothing to do with you guys. And so he finally loosens his death grip on their freedom and he lets God's people go. And in fact, the Israelites, they booked it so fast that many of them uh, were told to, 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 to leave yeast behind. Like they're like, you know, take, take what you need for your bread, but don't even take the yeast. Just get out of there so fast. And so from that moment on, Once a year, God's people celebrated the feast of the Passover, the feast on unleavened bread. 
as a memorial to that day that God delivered them out of Pharaoh's hand. They were stuck in Egypt for 440 years, multiple generations of families. So that was a big day for them. That was the day for them, the event. And so they, every single day in the first month of the year, as a memorial to that day, they would celebrate how God delivered them from Pharaoh's hand with a feast involving lamb and unleavened bread. And so this is the great feast that Jesus is about to have with his friends. This is the great feast that Jesus is about to have with his disciples. So this is an important one. This isn't just any other meal. It's the Passover meal. And it's not just any Passover meal. It's Jesus' last Passover meal before the cross and his last meal all together before he dies in our place for our sins. So his disciples, knowing that they're in town, that they're in Jerusalem, that everyone's having, I mean, this is like, this is like the Woodstock in Jerusalem, right? Like everybody comes out for the Passover feast. And Jesus' disciples, they ask Jesus in, in, in verse 12, they say, where will you have us go and prepare the Passover? Jesus is their leader. He's their rabbi and teacher. Like, so he says, where will you have us go to prepare the Passover? Or where's this feast going down? Right? And then I want you to see the instructions he gives them in verse 13 through 16. Now, really quick, this is sort of a fun portion of Scripture to read. It kind of reads like a spy novel. I want, you, I want you to see how it sounds, right? So it says in verse 13, it says, Jesus, then he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, I want you to go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of, of the house, the teacher says, where's my guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room finished and ready there to prepare for us. I mean, it kind of reads like a Mission Impossible scene, right? Like you just picture, it's like Ethan Hunt, right? Like your mission, should you choose to accept it? Go outside, follow the man with the water jug to the man at the house. Deliver the message contained in this folder provided to you. Give that to the master of the house. He'll escort you to our rendezvous point where you'll find all that you need for the preparations of our mission, all that you'll need for your mission, right? Like you almost expect it to say, like, uh, this message will self-destruct in 10 seconds. Then it says in verse 16, the disciples... They then set out and went to the city and found it just as Jesus told them. And they prepared at that moment the Passover. Now, we don't know if Jesus made arrangements with the water boy and the housemaster beforehand or if in his divinity he just had supernatural knowledge of the events that would transpire when they walked outside. But one thing is clear from these verses that I don't want you to miss. Jesus is in control of the events surrounding his death. He's in control of the events surrounding his death. Even in the next few verses, in verses 17 through 21, which we kind of discussed last week, in the middle of his betrayal by Judas, Jesus says, for the Son of Man goes as it is written written of him. He says, all this, even my betrayal, even these events leading up to the cross, this was written of me. Jesus knows that. He's laying into that. This is his destiny, his plan, his mission. The cross of Jesus, his crucifixion and death, does not catch him off guard. This is the mission he was sent for, planned before the foundation of the world. 
See, you and I, we, we, we can't control the awful things that happen to us and around us, but we can rest in the fact that God is sovereign and he has a plan. And his plan is always for good to triumph in, in the face of evil. God doesn't commit evil, but he uses it. He uses it in our lives to, to build us up. He uses it for our good. He uses it for his purposes, for his glory. The events in this passage are no different. Jesus is in control of the events surrounding his death. Now, I want you to see that this Passover feast was not just an exercise in nostalgia for Jesus and his disciples and all the Jews at the time. This wasn't just some inspiring story from a distant past. The Passover was the big calendar event in Jewish life and history. It was given by God as a way to help them relive his saving act toward them. For over four centuries, God's people stuck in Egypt found themselves asking, like, like, like what, what, is, is God still with us? Does he still care for us? And the Passover meal was given to God's people throughout history so they would remember that, yes, he is their God. Yes, he does care about them. Yes, he will deliver them. And it was no accident that Jesus chose this meal as his last meal. And with it, with the meal, he also revealed something new, something new for to be remembered and celebrated by, by churches throughout the ages. This leads us to our second point, which is the revelation of Jesus as Passover lamb. Verse 22 says, as they were eating, he, Jesus, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Now, what Jesus said here was earth shattering. For the disciples. And, and to see how earth shattering it is, you sort of have to step in their, in their shoes to, to understand it, to see it, to perceive it. So I want you to see, understand here that Jesus, at this point, at the point that he says, take this is my body, he says, take this, this cup, at this point, Jesus is actually veering from the normal Passover script in these verses. You see, the disciples, as good Jews, they knew that from the book of Exodus, that a Passover meal had a very specific form, a very specific rhythm that defined how it was supposed to be administered. And so you'd have these four cups of wine laid out on the table. And I want you, I want you to picture them, right? Picture these four cups of wine that are laid out on the table. And at every Passover feast, you'd have these four cups there. And what would happen is that the person, the host or the presider over the meal would lead his guests, would lead the people, the men and women at the table through the Passover feast. And he'd, he'd take one cup and, 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 and teach them about one aspect of the Exodus. And then he'd take the next and teach about the other. And, and every, everything that he walked them through was taken from Exodus chapter 6. There were these sayings that were attached to, to each one. And so the first cup in Exodus uh, chapter 6, verse 6, God tells his people, he says, I, I, will, I will bring you out from under the, the rule of the Egyptians. 
I will bring you out. And so the presider over the meal would take that cup and talk about the significance of God bringing them out. And then they'd all drink from that cup. And then in the next cup, he would say, uh, in verse Exodus 6, uh, verse 6, it also he then says, not only will I bring you out, but I will deliver you. And so the presider over the meal would talk about the significance of God being their deliverer. And then in the, he'd walk over to the third cup, and then he, he would say, you know, repeat God's words where God said, I will redeem you. He would talk about the significance of redemption what it means to be, to be saved by God, what it means to not just be brought out and delivered, but to be redeemed by him. And at that point, they would talk, they would, uh, uh, they would talk about the sacrifice of the lamb, and they, they'd eat the lamb, and they'd break bread, right? They'd actually eat the meal portion uh, at the time uh, that the third cup went around. And when the fourth cup came, he, he said the other promise of God in, in Exodus 6, verse 7, when God says, I will, I, will, I will take you, I will take you and show you that I'm going to be your God and I'm going to deliver you to the promised land. You're going to be mine. Not only are you mine, not only did I take you out of Egypt, but I'm, I'm going to be with you to the end, to the promised land. And so this was a beautiful feast Right? That just walked people through the Passover story and the significance of who God is and not just who he is in his character, but who he is in his love for them. And in verse 22, Jesus does something shocking. In Mark 14, verse 22, Jesus does something shocking. He strays from the, the script. It says, as they were eating in verse 22, and so we know that this is happening at the third cup. When, when the point in the time when Jesus is presiding over the meal, talking to them what it means to be redeemed, when they would have the lamb and the bread and all that, the point of the third cup, that's when Jesus would say, would, that's when Jesus took the bread. And what would normally happen in the Passover feast is the presider would get up and he'd bless the food elements. There would be bread, herbs, and lamb. And he would explain how each food element represents some aspect of their deliverance, of their redemption uh, from slavery in Egypt. But here in verse 22, rather than doing that, it says that Jesus took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it to them, which so far, all fine is, all's fine and good. But then, at this point, he's supposed to say, this bread represents our affliction. But instead, Jesus says, take, this is my body. This is my body. In other New Testament scriptures, we know he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. And then he takes that third cup and he says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you, poured out for many. You see, this moment, in this meal, at this Passover feast with these disciples and Jesus at the table is a massive game changer. 
This moment is a massive game changer. Jesus is revealing the truer meaning, the deeper meaning of the Passover feast. He's revealing to his disciples, and because it's recorded, he's revealing to us that he's saying, Moses was sent by God to deliver God's people back then, but I'm here to bring an even greater deliverance. I'm here to bring an even greater redemption, a greater exodus, a greater salvation. He's saying to his disciples, he's saying to them, you think the Passover is the event to celebrate? He said it was, but until now, because now that Passover you see is just a foretaste of the greater Passover that I'm here to bring. He's saying all the ancient deliverances, all the ancient sacrifices, all, all those ancient uh, memorial meals, all of it was pointing forward to him, to this moment, the cross and resurrection. Notice the perfect time that Jesus is choosing to, to, to deliver this news to his disciples. I mean, the first Passover meal was observed the night before God led his people away from Pharaoh's grip. And this Passover meal is observed the night before Jesus dies on the cross in our place for our sins to free us from sin's grip, from death's grip. Jesus is about to lay death in its own grave. Remember what God decreed about how the original Passover would go down? Remember how he told the Israelites, the only way your people will survive this last plague is if they sacrifice a spotless lamb, eat it, and put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts? In other words, when the sword of divine justice came down in the Exodus, it either came to your door or you took shelter under his deliverance, under a substitute, the blood of a lamb. And if you accept this shelter, if you accept the blood of a lamb as this shelter, then death would pass over your door. Your, your race couldn't save you. Your nationality couldn't save you. Your politics couldn't save you. Your ethics couldn't save you. You could only be saved by faith alone in a substitutionary sacrifice. A lamb. The blood of a lamb. You ever read all these Old Testament verses about sacrifices and wonder, like, man, what does God have against innocent baby lambs? Right? What does he have against these baby lambs? Like, I'm sure PETA would not be all right with this old school covenant, right? Like, I remember reading this, this uh, Bible story uh, uh, to, to, to our kids uh, about the lamb sacrifices that were required in the Old Testament. My daughter is so confused. Like, she's realizing how morbid that is. She's like, wait, they killed a lamb? Like Mary had a little lamb, right? Like, she was like, man, how? I was like, man, how do I explain this, the, the grim nature of this? You want to know what God has against little lambs? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. If you read all the gospel accounts on the Lord's Supper, you realize that there's actually no mention of a lamb. There's no mention of a lamb. You see, God doesn't ultimately care about, like, it's not, it's not that he, he has something against the little lambs. It's that the lambs pointed to something bigger. 
pointing to something better. You see, in the other gospel accounts on the Lord's Supper, there's no mention of a lamb, which is kind of weird because that, the lamb was considered the main course, right? I mean, a big part of the Passover was, was the lamb's blood over the doorpost, and so the lamb of the Passover meal was sort of a big part of, of it, a big part of it. It was the main course of the meal. So it's, it's strange to not have a mention of lamb on the table at the Passover meal, at the Last Supper. It's like describing a classic Thanksgiving feast and forgetting to mention like the turkey and the stuffing. You see, but the point of this Passover meal wasn't the lamb on the table. The point of this Passover meal was the lamb of God sitting at the table. You see, the point of this Passover feast was not the lamb that was on the table, but the lamb of God who was sitting at the table, who was presiding over the table. That is why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus for the first time, he said in John 1.21, he shouted out and he said, Behold, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He sees Jesus for the first time and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. When Jesus says in Mark 14, verse 24, when he says, This is my blood of the covenant, when he passed around that third glass of wine, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, what he's saying is, I am the Lamb of God that all the other lambs pointed to. That's me. My blood poured out for you. Not a lamb's blood on a doorpost, but my blood on a cross for you, for many. This is the earth-shattering meaning of Jesus' death. And this meal illustrates it unlike anything else. You see, he is our substitutionary sacrifice. Jesus is the substitutionary sacrifice for the sins of the world. And to announce that to his disciples in this way, on this day, at this meal, he could not have stated his point any louder, and he could not have painted this picture any, any, any clearer. I mean, doesn't that doesn't that just stir your heart? Doesn't that just more make your heart sore? Like he could not have stated the purpose of his cross and resurrection any louder and any clearer. Jesus reveals that he is the Passover lamb. And so I want us to consider now, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us today with our weekly rhythm? of the Lord's Supper today. One of our most cherished distinctives here at King's Cross is that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate communion every week, every Lord's Day. You see, some churches are in the habit of taking communion like every once in a while, like maybe once a month or, or once a quarter. And the reason that, that they'll say, I mean, some of my, my friends who, like, I love and respect uh, and learn a ton from, uh, I, we, I had this conversation with a couple of them uh, not too long ago. And, 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 and one of them, you know, he does it uh, once every month or every other month. And, and, and he, he says, you know, like, the reason that, that, that they do it that way is because uh, they don't want 
the Lord's Supper, they don't want communion to turn into sort of like this religious exercise if you do it like each week in and each week out. I told him, man, I, I think that's a huge mistake. I think that's a huge mistake. Not only is that a deviation from what Christians have been doing for centuries, but that's like saying like we won't pray every Sunday because we don't want that to turn into a religious experience or exercise. We won't open up God's Word every Sunday because we don't want that to turn into a religious exercise. And look, there is a danger to having a posture of our hearts where we just feel like we're just tacking it on to the, the end of a service. We don't realize the significance of the Lord's Supper. But I hope you see that in this passage that this was important to Jesus. This was important to the Lord and to his disciples. I mean, when churches were planted in Acts, we read about this in Acts 2 and Acts 20 and several places throughout the books of Acts, it says that there were only four things that churches devoted themselves to when they started spreading in the first century. Four things that they all devoted themselves to. The preaching of the word, praying together, fellowship, and the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper communion is one of the big four that we should be devoted to. Not as just a designated discipline, but as devotion. It says they were, in Acts 2, it says they were devoted to these things. I want you to consider the word of, words of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. In the Gospel of Mark in verse 22, it tells the same story. But Luke records a few extra words that Jesus said. He says in, fact, in Luke 22, verse 19, he tells his disciples, he gives them a command, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. This bread, this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying that his disciples and anyone in history who identifies with him as Lord and Savior should gather, should worship together, should pray together, and should take the Lord's Supper together. That, that phrase, in remembrance of me, doesn't just mean, you know, uh, in memory of me like it sounds in English, but in the original Greek, it's, it's, it's sort of this sense of an actualized awareness of him. It's this sense that of, of what he's done in the past, his life, death, and resurrection, of who he is today as the Lord of our, of our mind, body, soul, and strength, the fellowship that we share with him and his family in the here and now, and, and of the future reality of how we'll be with him forever, all combined in the Lord's Supper. The past of what Jesus has done, the present reality of what that means for us with each other and before him, and the future promise that we'll be with him forever. We have some, 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 some friends of ours, the, the Lewises over here, that they renew their, their wedding vows uh, every single year. They review their wedding vows every single year on their, their anniversary. I think it was a couple years ago. Like I, I, got, I got to sort of like officiate like their, their renewing of, of their wedding vows uh, in, their, in their living room. You ever, you ever been to some, like a, a ceremony like that where, where a, a, a man and a woman are, are renewing their vows from their wedding day? Alyssa and I did, did that uh, like last year. We, we actually rewrote our vows and read them to each other. And you see, when we did that, 
When couples do that, what you're doing is you're dragging the past of the vows that we made before God and our witnesses, our friends and family. We're dragging the reality of what was promised in the past into the present, into the now. We're also letting our future, till death do us part, break its way into the present, into the now. That's what Jesus meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me. All the past, present, and future benefits of what it means to not just be a follower of Jesus, but to be redeemed, delivered, taken by Jesus, is experienced in the Lord's Supper, in the communion meal. So just like the Israelites who celebrated the Passover meal to relive their deliverance, to reunite as a community, as a national family, and to redirect their lives in light of what God has done for them, we do the same thing today when we gather each week on the Lord's Day for worship. God is present and experienced in a unique way when God, the saints gather on the Lord's Day and especially when they take this, the meal. A few points I want us to consider. One, by reliving the, our pa- the past deliverance of Jesus, we remember his cross and resurrection, and we experience its effect on our lives today. We meditate and remember on the past, and we experience its effect on us today. Like taking the bread and cup is a way of saying this. This is the real food for me. Salvation in Jesus is a real food for me. Jesus Christ, his life and his friendship and his community, he's given me this family, he's given me is a real food for me. For me, that that satisfies my, my deepest hunger and longings. So when we take communion like that, with that in mind, in faith, then it nourishes and sustains and strengthens our faith in Jesus. Like I like to imagine what it was like for the disciples. Right? Every time they had a meal after that together, every time they broke bread together, well, what it must have been like for them. You see, back then, bread was such a staple. Like, like everyone, had, had, everyone ate bread with like almost every meal. This was long before the demonic influence of like the gluten-free movement on our time. Right? So, so everyone like had bread, and you know, they, didn't, they didn't have serrated knives back then. And so what happened is you'd take the loaf of bread, you would break it, tear it apart, and hand it to the person next to you. I'd like to imagine what it must have been like for the disciples after the Last Supper, after seeing Jesus crucified on a cross, seeing the agony that he went through in our place for us, and the victory that that was secured over evil, sin, and death when they saw him rise from the grave. You want to imagine like what it was like for the disciples the next meal that they shared together when they took a piece of bread and broke it and heard Jesus' words echoed, this is my body broken for you. It's a powerful picture. Theologian philosopher James Smith, Jamie Smith, he says, it's as if the story we've been hearing and rehearsing now comes with live illustrations. You see, King's Cross, one, one of the things that, that, that we, we kind of repeatedly we say here is how the, the Sunday morning service isn't just for consumers to consume. 
but it's for God's people to participate. And one of the ways that we participate is through this live illustration of what it means to be part, take part in Jesus' broken body and spilt blood for us. By the way, the scriptures also tell us that we should examine ourselves when we take communion. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians. And so taking communion is also an opportunity for us to say, like, is my life, does my life honestly, is it marked by the cross and resurrection? By the way I live in light of temptation and sin, by the way that I live amongst my brothers and sisters, is my life marked by the cross and resurrection? Am I living free from the grip of sin that Jesus died and rose for? Secondly, I want us to consider the Lord's, how the Lord's Supper reunites us each week around a common table. Just like the annual Passover feast brought together the Israelites as the ones passed over, the communion meal, the Lord's Supper, brings us together as God's people. The Lord's Day gathering is a reunion in the deepest sense of that word. And so it's a day that we gather as a family around a common word and message the Bible and to eat a common meal. The Lord's Supper, communion. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul tells the believers, he says, you know, he, says, he, he tells them and it, it, it exhorts them, he says, you know, you think you're taking communion, but you're really not. Because you, your heart's just not in the right place. You're not really unified with one another. You over there is living in sin, and you over there, you're not forgiving your brothers and sisters. You have this resentment and, and, and animosity towards one another. And he says, it's kind of better, it'd be better off if you didn't take communion altogether because your heart's not in the right place. You don't really want to be present. You don't really want to experience the work of Jesus in your life. You don't have an authentic posture of intimacy and unity with God and one another. You see, that's what it's supposed to be. It's the type of posture Jesus had when he gathered his disciples in that room, and he told them, I long to be with you, and I long to share this meal with you. And so in communion, Jesus is uniquely present with us as a family, as a family in the present, in the here and now. Lastly, I want us to consider how the Lord's Supper points us toward our future reality with Jesus in the new heavens and new earth. The last verse in our passage, Mark 14, verse 25, says, Jesus tells them, he says, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Remember how there were four cups of wine? Four cups of wine. Jesus broke bread at the third cup. Jesus here, by saying this at the third cup, he's sort of pumping the brakes on the ritual. At this point, he's refusing to drink from that final cup. And he says, you know what? I'm going to drink from that cup. I'm going to wait until the day of my own wedding banquet at the end of all time. That's when I'll drink from that cup. See, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 19, we're told that when Jesus comes to call, take his people and take them as his own, it's like a big, giant wedding feast. When all evil is gone, when death is no more, when all wrong things will made, be made right, when the spiritually blind will see forever, when every tongue will confess that he is Lord, 
all those who belong to him through belong to God through Jesus will sit around at this wedding banquet. The marriage supper of the Lamb is what it's called. And you see, Jesus' ministry started with a wedding party, and history will end with one. It's this picture of Jesus like a groom and the church like his bride. And it all ends when the groom comes to take his bride to his kingdom and they celebrate. Jesus loves his church and gave himself up for her. The promise that the Jews would, 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 would uh, meditate on with the fourth cup is the promise that God says, I will take you, make you my own, and deliver you to the promised land. Jesus is saying, I'll save that cup for later. Look forward to that. Look forward to that. The Lord's Supper, he's saying, is a foretaste now. When you do this in remembrance of me, remember that fourth cup that we'll drink together. Let this be a foretaste for you, that no matter how broken and jacked up your life is right now, when you gather each week with God's people and take the Lord's Supper together, Jesus is saying, I want you to look at that as sort of the appetizer of your future banquet in heavenly bliss. All, where all the deepest hungers of your heart and your soul's truest longings will be satisfied as you sit down for that eternal feast with your Lord and Savior. So every time you take the Lord's Supper, King's Cross, every time that we take the Lord's Supper on Sunday, the Lord's Day, I want you to hear the Spirit of God say to your heart, hold fast. I know it's hard, but hold fast. Remember what I've done for you. Remember that I'm here for you. Remember where I'm bringing you, and I will get you there. No matter how hard it seems right now, I'm committed to getting you over there. And when you do get there, when you do get to the wedding feast. At the end of all time, the party, the feast, will be just the beginning. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no dot com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.